Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way. Hi, I'm Mark Bauer. And I'm Brandon Polk. And welcome to episode eight of Behind the Scene, a weekly conversation focused on understanding the biases that are at the root of society's racial tensions. Today, we're going to discuss generational trauma and the science of the passing on of the emotional impact from distressing and disturbing experiences that have caused physical or emotional injury. We all know that we inherit physical characteristics from our parents, but new understandings around genetics and a relatively new field called epigenetics, meaning outside of genetics, shows how we can also inherit our parents' fears, stress, and anxieties that even they themselves inherited from their own parents. According to a 2015 PBS NewsHour article, a study examining the DNA of Holocaust survivors and their children found similar variations in both generations for the gene associated with depression and anxiety disorders. The findings imply that children of individuals who experience profound stress in life may be more likely to develop stress or anxiety disorders themselves. And so when we're talking about racial reconciliation and um, when we're having this dialogue, one of the, I guess, defenses that is regularly leveled is one of personal responsibility. And I think that in past episodes, we've talked about whiteness and normative behavior and privilege. Um, And I think it's becoming more evident that we kind of aren't deposited here on earth. We're not born into like this blank slate or this blank canvas where we're just are going to paint our self portrait of what we want our life to look like. And I think it's more evident that uh, we are deposited this mass of emotions and uh, inherit like literal, um, I guess, objects or, you know, things from our parents' experiences uh, and also now behaviors, you know, uh, science is demonstrating that we inherit these things. So um, what are the implications of all this on in the race conversation? That was a toss to me. I get to answer that question. This is Brandon again, <laughs> talking about race, <laughs> talking about race and now generational trauma. So what are what are the implications of a field like epigenetics on the racial conversation? So my first thought is, you know, we've talked about this in the, the, the episode on black anger and how certain pictures of anger within the black community or black and brown communities are disturbing and to those outside of that community. Um, I do reference often in conversations that I have generally about race around the riots that took place in Watts in California that King went to and with a nonviolent philosophy and the folks there were like, why should we ever listen to you, King, anymore? Um, We've listened to you for a while and we'd much rather just burn this place down. I'd much rather burn this place down and be heard because uh, I'm just so frustrated. Um, you know, what brings people, you know, to that kind of frustration and that kind of anger that they would literally burn down buildings that they need and use in their communities every day. And my thoughts on the passing on of stress or depression, Um, or rather a predisposition for those things, um, to me seems very real and very honest. If you consider that it's compounded over time, especially when there hasn't been healing 
in the previous generation for the trauma that it experienced that they experienced um, and I think that maybe if we looked at our own personal lives you know we might look in the positive at certain things <laughs> we might say you know my grandfather was really patient and I'm a really patient person too just like him and we revere those traits and then when it comes to things that are a little bit more negative say um, my, my mother was con my mom wasn't this would just say that your, your mother was controlling or she was um, she was neglectful or things like that that you would do everything in your power to not be like her and then you know I see this all the time as a therapist actually people come trying to avoid becoming like some kind of parent or something about that parent and end up just manifesting it differently you know like they they, they, they may not like can try and control their children but they definitely try and take control over their lives through alcohol or through some other kind of addiction so they're still controlling it's just manifested in a different way and and it's it's arguable that they were predis predisposed you know to those conditions regardless of race but imagine that you've got you know, 400 years worth of trauma history, you know, to navigate through, um, you know, from the beginning of slavery, you know, through the slave trade and into the civil rights movement, all of that, and, you know, all those things, <laughs> you know, that have happened for such a long time. Can we, do we really think that, um, that we're going to get away with just being a blank slate, as you say, Mark, and unscathed by a lot of that activity? Um, I think another, um, way to uh, sort of show evidence of that, you know, is um, culturally in the music, you know, or in the art, you know, that black and brown people have come up with over the years, you know, I said blues, the blues was in response to the blues. I mean, it was just a really sad situation going on, you know, so we came up with our own genre of music that was lamenting. It was lamenting of the African-American experience. And, uh, well, and there are a lot of other examples of that, you know, and, and I think that, you know, even in, in the context of the Black Renaissance and things like that, it was telling the, the, the actual story. It was the emotive, like, expression of the trauma that had been going on, not just in that person, but generationally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that, and, and I don't know that any, if someone hasn't really examined, you know, their thoughts on race or maybe slavery, um, we might kind of gloss over the fact like if you think about slavery you think about okay these people were brought here from Africa and against their will and they were forced to do hard labor in fields right if, if you if that's kind of just your only understanding of what slavery was and you haven't really thought deeply about how traumatic it actually was I think when you are looking at today where you are today and then mm -hmm. the black community where they are today it might be difficult for you to say okay well yeah sure they were they were brought here and they were enslaved and they're shackled but what was the actual trauma that they were experiencing because it it's brutal you know if you if you go to the african-american museum um one of the things that stood out to me just right off the bat um was there was some pieces of a ship from slave trade and there was a story about uh I think I'm recalling this correctly, how slaves were trying to jump off the boat to their death. Mm -hmm, sure. um, and and so there's a, a lot of tra trauma there just from, Brandon, you mentioned the Middle Passage, not even related to just uh, slavery itself, which was itself brutal, but also just the ripping apart of families uh, and being taken from your home. And can you maybe talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think what we do is we define trauma. You know, trauma is an unexpected, unwanted, distressing, and disturbing event 
that happens that has an impact on a person's psychology, has an impact on their personality, it, um, it, it has an impact on their ability to reason, um, and it creates um, this disordered thinking and disordered feeling. Um, it is, uh, trauma is so disruptive um, that it, it, it creates sort of a, a, a type of break um, and you can call it a, a psychosis of sorts, though at varying degrees for different people. So imagine for a second, this is how I like to talk about this and explain trauma to people, but let me also explain this in the context of slavery. So um, humor me and close your eyes if you're on the other side of this microphone right now and imagine that um, you are a, um, a teenage black girl being ripped away um, from her family um, and I would say not even ripped away, but first witnessing her family being killed, slaughtered because they were resisting and not conceding, they were not relenting. Um, she gets taken and then put on the boat where there was no room for the people to hardly stand on that boat. Um, and not only uh, did she live in horrible conditions when people around her were dying uh, from disease, from malnutrition, um, she herself is sick. Um, from the long voyage over on the Middle Passage um, from Africa to the Americas somewhere within the context of the slave trade uh, between like um, you know the state of Virginia or the Commonwealth or like like Virginia and, and some other places on the East Coast that you'd be familiar of um, Boston and the like um, and uh, she gets here and uh, she is taken to an auction block where she is sold for um, uh, a a cost and then taken to a plantation where she is forced to work in the field if she is of dark skin or she's working in the house if she is of light skin and either way she is poorly treated if she is light skin she's being raped if she is dark skin she's being raped um, imagine um, all of this trauma that she's experienced how many experiences have I just expressed how many experiences have I just communicated right now and if your eyes are closed and you're picturing that little girl um, and you're picturing her as black. Um, if you would like to understand what that feels like, maybe you should picture her as white. And then imagine what it means if she managed to have children and she were your great great grandmother and she were, and then um, her daughter um, had a daughter and then her daughter was your mother and what impact that would have on your life. And uh, I think that's a, um, maybe that's a compelling way to think about it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, huge, hugely heavy, uh, and I think that one thing that people will probably think about is, okay, yeah, that's traumatic, that's terrible, brutal. They're not going to argue with that after hearing that narrative. You know, it's hard to argue with that. One thing they might say is, okay, well, that was 400 years ago, and things have turned around so well, you know, uh, for since even in the last 50 years with civil rights. Um, but one interesting thing I found in reading up on this was that um, those behaviors and the, that trauma can manifest itself even 14 generations later, um, you know, removed from that trauma. And you mentioned bef before that if this can go untreated, it will continue to manifest itself. So, you know, you're not even talking about 14 generations anymore at that point. You know, it can go on and on and on. And if it's untreated... And I can think about my own family history and see where there are some things where 
okay, I see that my family's predisposed to maybe some addictive personalities or addictive behaviors. I'm going to now want to be aware of that and see where that could pose problems in my own life. And if I'm not aware of it, then um, then that's something that can potentially have power over me because uh, because I'm not doing anything to actively combat that. Um, yeah, and we say that all the time in, in, in mental health counseling, you know, or in substance abuse counseling, we say this often, you know, that if your father was an alcoholic, you were predisposed potentially um, through your genetic makeup or, you know, through the passing on of this epigenetical, you know, um, thing that we're talking about, if, if epigenetical is a word, um, it is today, and um, uh, that, that there's a context, you know, through which um, you could be could be, should be, possibly concerned around your own behavior around alcohol. I mean, it's it's not, um, you know, out of the question, you know, that, uh, that 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 we are more willing to accept this as an idea in contexts that are more, um, uh, or rather less threatening <laughs> um, to uh, if, if, if we're talking about white people to the white psyche of identity <laughs> you know um, the, the, the white psychology of um, guilt or white guilt or and like we talked about in episode 7 around the accusation of, that comes from white privilege or the understanding of what white privilege is that uh, you're just less less inclined you know to believe under these circumstances you know that um, black and brown people in particular black people have been impacted for a number of hundreds of years with the generational consequences of trauma that were inflicted upon the first generation of slaves that were brought over through colonialism i mean i, I you know it's it's um it, you know mark and i talked about this prior you know to starting the recording today was you know our our role, you know, right now is not to unpack the entire philosophy of epigenetics, you know, and or generational trauma in 42 and a half minutes. Um, you know, my goal is to actually say, you know, as a therapist, as a social worker, completely distinctive of my being African-American, that I have seen the impacts on children. I've seen the impacts on their parents and I've seen the impacts of, 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 of their of, of grandparents. Um, and great-grandparents on the entire makeup of a family that just so happens to be African-American, and I tie it 100% fundamentally data-driven to the impacts of slavery and, um, and after slavery. It's compounded over time. It's not just the incident of gathering up black people and putting them on a boat and bringing them over to the Americas. It is what happened to them when they got on the ground. It was the death that they experienced, the kind of torture that they experienced. It was the retelling of those stories so we would not forget. It was the um, people jumping off of boats or killing their children so that they would um, so, so that they would avoid slavery. I mean, all of this misordered, disordered, racing um, kind of anxiety that was running rampant in the culture, was running rampant in the race, in the black race, in the, in, in, in the black psyche, is something that's passed down it's, it's absolutely passed down um, in the behavior, and you can see it in a today generation voice and today generation activities. And, um, you know, so my job is not to convince you of it. It's just to tell you that experientially, I just believe it's true. Um, and I can talk about it for myself, too. There are things I feel like I'm still dealing with, even though I wasn't, I haven't experienced slavery. I've experienced racism, but I haven't experienced obviously didn't experience slavery but the idea and I talked about this the last episode too of like is black beautiful like that's a byproduct of black people not being treated as beautiful since the beginning you know like what 
what if someone said oh you know what those black books are really beautiful we want to enslave them um <laughs> or even if they had said those black books are really beautiful we're still going to enslave them then maybe i would still have a thought about black being beautiful you know sort of in there somewhere but that was something that i've had to work out in my adult life you know that i've totally connected to the uh nomenclature or or the um uh my like like cultural diasporic experience of of, uh, of, of knowing that the beauty of blackness has been questioned for as long as this country has been. So, yeah. anyway. And I, I want to say something to that. I don't know if this is, this is pretty vulnerable. I don't know if I should even say it. Uh, but well, in, uh, here we late, go. Here we go. <laughs> uh, you know, going back to like when I would start dating and, you know, you get in conversations about like what you're attracted to and, you know, there's blonde and brunette and uh, all kinds of shades in between and uh, skin color. And one thing that, you know, I just like, oh, I'm not attracted to, to black women. And, you know, I remember my sister had a, a black friend who I was attracted to, but even thinking back to her, she was kind of light skinned. And the more I've unpacked over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. myself and my own biases and tried to, you know, sort through those things in myself, the more I found myself finding women black women attractive who i wouldn't have found attractive 10 years ago and i feel bad saying that but at the same time i think that that's like i would have thought that that's just oh some people find certain things attractive and that's not racist or that's not a racial bias within me but maybe i'm having second thoughts about what that what that was yeah i think you know one thank you for being honest about it um mark i think that's something that most people aren't going to say and they're definitely not going to confess to um you know the way that that is talked about is talked about preference you know like the same way you wouldn't be attracted to someone who is you know short the same way you wouldn't be attracted to someone that's taller than you um you know that is the way we say i'm not attracted to someone who has darker skin than i do you know and we sort of put those things in the same category um and I mean, whatever. I'm five foot three. Discriminate if you want. Um, I'm still gonna be mad about that. But um, but I, I think as we're talking about epigenetics, even or generational trauma, you know. But I think uh, with epigenetics, you know, uh, you know, that is something also that is a byproduct of of yeah. that being passed down somewhere in your own family. Like, where did that where did that come from? You know, um, where did the 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 idea or or the supposition you know that that you could not be attracted or that you could have a preference you know um, uh, as opposed to just treating people equally and giving everyone the chance to just be who they are and um, and being open you know to the prospect of being like attracted to someone who is black brown green yellow or off white you know whatever you know um, uh, we make these these stipulations and they come, they have an origin, they have a genesis. And, um, and if somewhere within the context of racial science, someone said at the founding of the country that black was not beautiful and that white or lighter was more beautiful, then it makes a hundred percent sense to me that you would be saying to me today that as you've been working through things, right, that you have now become a little bit more attracted, right? or at least just honest about being able to see the beauty in someone who's darker skinned because you're excavating through that, you know? Um, my co-host, bless his heart. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, yeah. My mind's blown. We didn't even talk through any of this before. We did not we talk through this. recorded. So this, this is, is like, an unwanted disclosure. No, it's, 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 a, it's a surprise disclosure. Yeah. It's a, a very wanted surprise. disclosure. And, uh, <laughs> and I, did, I didn't even make that connection really to, yeah, you're right. What are the things that I inherited, the preferences and those things from my you know, family? 
that's wild yeah. to me. This is therapy happening yeah. right now. <laughs> it's like therapy happening, <laughs> recording on the thing. Uh, you know, but it's one of those things. It's like even as a as a black person, it's interesting because I know, um, you know, there are black people, you know, who would say the same thing about black people. You know, that as a black person, I wouldn't date someone who was black. You know, um, I've fundamentally dated only one or two black people in my life as a black person you know so what does that say about me does that mean that i am predisposed i am predisposed to this i am pre i'm predisposed to not seeing black as beautiful because i was not treated or at least i did not think it was beautiful so of course i would not want to then i'm not prone to dating someone who is beautiful because of my own perspective on that the own impact you know that i've had on it you know now have i worked through that have i known to not treat it as a preference absolutely i've known to not treat it as a preference but as something that is fundamentally inaccurate like i am open you know to dating for for whom someone connects with me emotionally spiritually and that i can be attracted to on all levels which is independent of race it's independent of skin tone and skin color um but um, but I can tell you, if we're going to talk about dating, I tell you, the hardest thing about dating in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill is the fact that people see you, um, you know, as being black and don't want to date you, you know, and that goes even for black people, <laughs> you know, don't want to do it, you know, yeah. uh, or at least that's my experience. I mean, it's it's rare, you know, I mean, that you just have talk about like an equality of opportunity situation going on here. You know, there are things that we're dealing with in the nation's capital. Um, there are things that we're dealing with around the country in general, you know, but I, I think that one of those things, if you're going to be successful as a black person I'm, or as a brown person, you're dealing with all of this language around preferences and the whole time, perhaps what we're dealing with is like the consequences of things being passed down. Um, there are ideas and then there are things within the expression of our behavior that does come out of our biology at times. And, um, and you know, as a social worker, you know, I look more holistically as a therapist. You know, it's a person in his or her environment. And um, we are predisposed to certain things because of the environment. We're pre we are predisposed to certain things because of, our, because of our biology and because of our genetics. And the two together can be a powerful combination. So um, anyway, that's mind-blowing, but... Yeah. Um, maybe it seems a little mystical, but yeah, it, I'm glad we kind of stumbled on this accidentally because I think it's helpful. It's accessible to people because we all have those preferences, you know, where and where do they come from? How, why do I have a preference for the kinds of foods that I eat or the, the kind of people that I find attractive or, uh, you know, why am I introspective or an introvert versus an extrovert and all these behaviors, um, you know, we, are they environmental? Are they inherited? And those are conversations that we've had passed down, you know, that we've been talking about for years, generations, and I think are still trying to figure out. But science, advances in science are really kind of shedding some, some light on those things. Um, and and I can think back. I, I actually I can think back to an article 10 years ago or so uh, where, you know, it was like around like Match.com when online dating was relatively new. And, oh, God. And they were talking about how there were some racial preferences exhibited yeah. in, you know, like people creating profiles and stuff. And I don't want to land here too long, but I remember thinking back then, I, you know, people were calling it racist and, oh, these people are racist. And I'm like, no, it's just preference. Um, and now being mm -hmm. able to look back on that and see that maybe there was something there and, and I'm only now being able to, um, as you say, excavate it and, and but my natural reaction was to be defensive about it mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. and I don't know why because we can see behaviors um, 
very easily like if we think about a kind of like dogs uh, if you want a specific kind of dog for a specific purpose whether it's hunting or if you want a great family dog or if you want a good guard dog these are behaviors that people um, bred throughout a long line of you know these preferable behaviors they bred them intentionally so what kind of things are we inheriting unintentionally uh, because it's just kind of like a big soupy mess at this point mm -hmm. right because it's not intentional our parents met and based mm -hmm. on like where they were and interactions that they were having and so there was no preference there for oh what kind of child are we going to create mm -hmm. well i mean it's funny that you mentioned breeding i mean i think that talk, talk about trauma talk about black trauma <laughs> black experiential trauma you know is black people also being bred you know for strength and beauty and or at least you know uh, what, what would then have been called sort of a a stoutness or a strength and in particular uh, we call like the mandingo character you know he was a strong tall black man you know who could who was as who was the strongest 10 mules or something like that you know it was this um this thing that 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 was um that that would make the the black man uh, but he wasn't a man he wasn't seen as a man he was just black and he was an animal um, um was if, if he was of that kind of a genetic um uh, of that genetic makeup and he was more valuable to a slave owner to a master to a plantation owner so um that that kind of thing that's the same thing that was happening <laughs> you're talking about dogs and was doing the same thing you know so um how, how how much of that actually does get of that experience gets passed down into the into the um experiential relationship between black people and white people also you know mm -hmm. i don't know what was the question you asked me did you ask me another question? I just answered something else. No, was that it? Was that the question? I, think, I don't even know if I had a question. I, I got I, I, I got like, caught up in the dogs. I got yeah. caught up in the idea. I sort of saw the vision of people like breeding like African American slaves, you know. And I was just mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's I know that's some of that. I mean, what what you witnessed was a traumatic experience. I had a traumatic flashback, you yeah, know, to something about, I didn't experience. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of like golden retrievers. On, I'm sitting over here the thinking. And I'm thinking about mandingo and roots, <laughs> oh, you know. You know, I'm thinking about 12 yeah. years a slave, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you did mention earlier that uh, we only have 40 minutes here and we're not going to be able to delve into this and maybe even convince you or provide enough scientific information to create something compelling. But what we want to do is we want to give you an understanding, a basic entry level uh, into the fact that, yes, this is what the current science says. We want you to be curious enough to go and look at the science for yourself and then one just for your own you know flourishing if you can look back on your own family lineage and find discover things traits that are passed down and things that you don't like in yourself um, or things that you do like in yourself and how can you hone those characteristics and um, kind of tamp down some of those other unattractive traits um, but also we we want you to empathize with the black experience and Brandon can you talk a little bit maybe this is two parts because I also do want to get to the, the behavioral things that you've mentioned you've seen in families mm -hmm. you've had a, you had a compelling story that you told me before we started recording uh, but why should we why should we empathize with that experience uh, yeah. what does that mean for us sure yeah you guys hear me pause a lot when Mark asks me a question because I'm like I, please don't say the wrong thing um, <laughs> so I just say what I think but I am um, why should, Mark says, why should we, and I take the we, 
as in the white we. Um, why should we care about the black experience? And how then, if you if you do care, how then do you empathize? You know, with the, with the black experience. And I then I will add this without being defensive um, of your own identity, of your own position, um, of your own emotional state or positional state or just racial state. Um, why should you care? Um, let's take race out of it for a second and just imagine that it was, that everybody was the same, you know, and we treated everyone the same, except everyone had really flat noses and those flat nosed people, we rounded them all up and for 400 years treated them like they were pigs, you know. Um, and then all of a sudden, someone just wrote, hey, wait a minute, those people are just like us. They just have flat noses, you know? And, um, you know, but everyone looked like you. They're the same tone as you. They just had flat noses, you know? Um, you, you should care because, because the people are just like you. You should care because we're 99.9% .9 the same. And for the 1.1% difference that makes up our melanin and our skin tone differentials, that is the part that made us 100% different in the context of the culture, right? And, and the narrative around it. You should care because you got duped. You should care because you were lied to into thinking that black people were different than you. You should care because your generational trauma is one of where people that were in leadership were the ones that told you that these other people that look a different way were more, sorry, were less special than you were. And that is a lie and that is not true and you've been baked into a system that's promoted that, that's why you should care. Not because black people are trying to take anything from you. It's because you should want to give something back to it because you were told something that was fundamentally untrue and built a life on it without you knowing that you were building a life on it. That is inception upon inception upon inception. <laughs> it is deceit upon deceit upon deceit. That's why you should care for your own good, for your own integrity, for your own character. Yeah, and that's huge, and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, we're talking about black trauma and, you know, things that have been passed down, but what is, uh, you're, you're exactly right, there were there were things that the white, that uh, the, you talked about whiteness, things that we had to believe in order to propagate uh, slavery and the, econo the economic benefits around enslavement, and that was something that we've seen even up until 50 years ago. So when we might not have had, and lynchings themselves were severely brutal and traumatic. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about trauma, we're not that far removed from it appearing in photographs. No. Upon, you know, and, uh, and our grandparents having experienced it and mm -hmm. lived in a world where that was normal uh, and beatings in the streets mm -hmm. and, um, and homes being burnt down and, you know, crosses being erected in yards and, and things like that and mm -hmm. burns and um so so yeah the the white experience too uh, there are behaviors that were bred in us and things that we believe that we have, have to excavate ourselves and so yeah I'm, I'm really glad you you touched on that because mm -hmm. that's that's hugely important and you know the the real trauma there too i mean or i mean it's just the like trauma of silence you know when something bad happens and no one says anything that exacerbates a trauma you know when someone comes out and says that they were like sexually molested and then they tell someone that's an authority you know they tell someone that's supposed to like take care of them and respect them tell them the truth and they look at them and say no you weren't i don't believe you you're lying you know 
that is just as traumatic as the experience, you know? And so imagine, and this is what King said, that the Constitution was a promissory note that was coming due, you know, when he gave his last speech or one of his last speeches in Memphis, is what he said, is that, you know, for black people, we were looking to this constitutional ideal at a certain point that said that we were going to become equal with the white people. That was once we started, once you let us read, you know, we were able to read that thing and actually say, wait a minute, this might actually apply to us. And um, though we knew it never applied to us, we were still going to the people who were, thought we'd be, we, that we would be able to reason with at a certain point in the culture. And we were still told either, no, it doesn't apply to you. Or if you told me, if you didn't tell me, no, you stayed silent and said nothing. And for, for, that's a trauma on, um, you know, that's being held in the black experience. But I think that is a trauma. It is a silent but deadly trauma in the context of white children that were born out of that. And then the children that were born out of that. Because then what are they doing? They're still silent. All they did, they just learned silence. <laughs> you know, learn how to say nothing. Learn how to say, it wasn't me. I'm not going to get involved. You know? Anyway. Sorry, all. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's a sad situation, I know. I love all of you. <laughs> so, what do we? What can what can we do with this? Like, what what should white people do if if they believe the science, which I think the science is credible, and says that we inherit these traits and these characteristics, uh, and then there's an entire people group of, who are probably disproportionately impacted by it negatively you know we all inherit some sort of brokenness but when it comes to access we've talked about privilege in the last episode um what can we do to help and we and we talked a little bit about like what can we do to help economic prosperity and help access to that but Mm -hmm. what can we do to help and i say we meaning kind of white people maybe all people in general what can we do to help each other's brokenness to carry that burden mm-hmm. yeah sure um you know mark uh you know is i don't know i'm, I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit but he's if, if this is not that question he's he's going to ask me this question in just a second like what is the hope of this situation like where are we going <laughs> you know um is there any good news on the backside of this conversation and um yes um though i i don't i don't know if hope is something that, um, you know, the way that we generally talk about it, you know, is, is hope for, like, like what is hope for white people in the context of this conversation is different than hope for black people, just different. You know, like, you want me to, do you want me to sort of pacify you or abdicate you from responsibility and talking about it? Because we're talking about, okay, that was heavy. Now it now made me feel better, you know? And what I like to tell you is that it's also part of the privilege. It's for me to actually say, okay, I'll try and help you now and make you feel better. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. What condition am I in? You know, like as a black person or as a brown person, we're still in the same condition. So anyway, so what I'd like to, you know, say, you know, what, where, what, 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 what can you do to help? Um, what can you do to in, engage? And I mentioned this earlier, but I think that for all of what you know about the black experience, close your eyes, imagine it and then put your white children in the photograph that you see. And do not try to escape the pain of the situation 
you can easily identify with it because you're human. It's not... Yes, it is a black experience because you rounded up you. The, the, the collective historical you is, is what, what I mean and what you represent. Um, or what you can represent is the white people who did that to black people. Um, enslavement, Jim Crow, civil rights, the whole thing. To erase yourself from it, to advocate yourself from at least um, the opportunity to empathize with someone that's just human like you. You do it all the time. Because you because you don't have to identify with it. You don't have to. So what can you do? Experience the pain of it. Even just the discomfort of it. And let me demystify it this way. The absence of pain is not the presence of healing. Always. The presence of pain is not always the absence of healing either. And discomfort and pain in the context of the situation in this conversation is the very thing we need to do in order to get to the place of healing. It is that. It is the only way. There is no other way except you go through it. You have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, <laughs> you know, in order to get to the place where you fear no evil, <laughs> you know. I'm thinking to a time when I broke my leg and uh, part of once I got my boot off and was able to start walking around on it, my doctor gave me some exercises, some stretches that he wanted me to do to avoid scar tissue buildup. And I was young. I was probably like 18, 19, 20. And I ignored it. And I was like, oh, whatever. You know, I don't need to do this. I can walk just fine. When I, I'm not experiencing pain. Uh, but because I didn't do those silly stretches to <laughs> prevent the buildup of the scar tissue, I now have like this stupid fat cankle on my <laughs> left leg. Uh, where if I had just done these dangum stretches, I would have avoided that. And yeah. and you mentioned um, healing isn't necessarily the absence of pain, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It might have been. Maybe I wasn't experiencing pain and maybe the stretches would have made it uncomfortable. Um, there would have been some stretching out there. So if I'm thinking, speaking for myself and maybe in a broader context for other white people, one thing that's really been kind of helpful for me to do is to just listen. Brandon, you mentioned empathizing and listening and actually even up until like planning for this podcast and what it might look like and sound like earlier this year, I was meeting with uh, a friend um, and having these discussions and she's a, a black woman and I was like what I'm still trying to like I, I'm telling her this is where I'm at I'm having trouble finding my voice in this and mm -hmm. she's like oh, just listen you know mm -hmm. that's all you just you just need to listen and I'm like I'm trying to create a podcast here I don't know if you know understand what <laughs> goes on to talk on the podcast to talk not listen talk and but it, that was huge that was honestly and I had to sit with that for a Honestly, a couple of weeks, it just kind of blew me away uh, and really had to work through that and grapple with it because our tendency is to react and become defensive. And we've talked about some of the excuses that we make in, in past episodes. And uh, But there is something to listening and allowing mm -hmm. people's stories mm -hmm. to, feel, to feel the weight of those stories mm -hmm. um, and 
understand that it doesn't have anything to do with us but there's also some self-discovery that can occur in us you know it's it, it is almost like a stretching of the soul uh, of the spirit mm-hmm. and um uh so i hate to get theological in that way but mm-hmm. i think that they're you know that it kind of lent like there's only so much we can do with science you know the science can tell us that these things occur that we can inherit these traits and characteristics but then what do we do with that you know what, mm-hmm. what is that yeah um i mean doctrine is important spirituality is important i, I talked about you know the like where did malcolm x come from where did stokey carmichael come from where did the black panthers come from you know I think they came out of the womb of generational trauma, you know, like they came out of this place of pain within the black expression, within the black experience that was not seeing the fruit of the nonviolent Martin Luther King Jr. movement of resistance. And here's what I want to say, I think about that, is that for King and his spirituality, his Christian spirituality, that even non-Christians had access to. Um, the reason why he was able to get through it the way that he was, the, the way that he did, was because his faith demanded that he actually forgive his enemy. Um, that he forgives the one who abused him or hurt him. And he would quote, you know, the scripture out of, Matthew 17 or 18, whichever one it is, you know, about to, uh, uh, like about forgiving your brother 70 times 7. That also, for those of you who would like to know that, hear that, is also just as much a part of our generational experience. That is, we are just as prone to forgiveness and to softness and the tenderness of our heart and being, and I can't tell you how many movies I know right now, Sidney Portier comes to mind, and there's just one movie, you know, where He's like tied to a white man, you know, and we're like, and everyone's just cheering, just let the white man die, you know, like his whole experience. And and it's the black man that goes and saves him and sticks with him, won't be closer with him than a brother, you know, won't go. Um, if you watch the movie The Patriot, you'll see that depicted in there as well. Um, you know, uh, you know, there there are tons of pictures that we relate to about a benevolence and our service to those who have historically and generationally abused us and that comes straight out of the playbook of you know a non-violent loving faith and spirituality that we can all enter into together in fact maybe we have to yeah that's heavy and i think actually probably gives us some good groundwork to get into at least one episode the ego and how that benevolence is completely contrary to how our biological impulses want to react through mm-hmm. violence or through defensiveness and how if we look at that if we studied like the reactions we would say oh completely 100% justified reactionary it's biological it's impulsive but what is there to overcoming that that is there's the sweet and um and good for uh, a group of people in a society mm-hmm. or community to do why why that's important mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's what we talk about next time. I don't know what we'll call it, but. Yeah, well, the breaking down of the white ego, my lord, and the black ego too. We got our own ego, you know. We all, we all, you guys are hearing it, you know. (laughs) Uh, So, our call to action for you this episode is: we'd want you to look at the history of your own family and traits that you see occurring in your family lineage. What kind of things has your family been susceptible to? Do you see any of those behaviors reflected in yourself? Are they positive? Are they negative? Uh, and then what do you do with them? And then Brandon, you had a couple. Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, one, uh, as we've hinted to throughout this episode, you know, find yourself. I mean, this is pretty radical. I mean, um, if you're black, find yourself in the white experience. You know, if you are white, find yourself in the black experience in this country. You know, what makes you uncomfortable um, around um, sort of processing through white privilege? What makes you uncomfortable um um, as we were processing through things like affirmative action or things like that, you know, they would generally make you defensive on either side, you know, regardless of what race you are. Um, can you get into the psyche? Can you get into the mindset, into the empathetic position, the posturing where you are open to listening, open to closing your eyes, meditating, how, and being curious, how did these people get to the place where they're at collectively, generationally, um, collectively as a people group in terms of their consciousness, you know, around, um, sort of a social reactivity, you know, to, to, to certain things that uh, are maybe depicted in the media or just things that we know through, um, bias that we're, we are, we are ourselves reactive to. Um, so that's, that's definitely one thing. And I'm, and I think, uh, you know, as we continual, as we continually hint at, you know, and not even hinting at or very clear about, um, make sure that you're just curious about yourselves and look at your family line, look at where you um, are the byproduct of someone in your family <laughs> and something that you want or something that you don't want, you know, and let's not pick and choose. You know, if you got something great from granddaddy, maybe you got something not so great from granddaddy. Um, if you got his um, his, uh, his orneriness, <laughs> you know, um, maybe it's the same way that you got his compassion, you know, and where did all of that come from? Did it just show up because you were around your grandfather? Maybe you didn't meet your grandfather and people tell you you're just like him. So where did that come from? You know, um, is that purely, um, genetics? Maybe is it genetics and environment and a, and a predisposition, you know, to an expression of, of a gene that causes you to be like someone, you know? Um, yeah. So, so just, just meditate on these things. And, you know, lastly, get on Google and research it for yourself. Just go find it out. Yeah. Go read a book that you wouldn't read. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Don't take, don't, don't take our word for it. Never uh, do that. Some key terms, maybe look up generational trauma, look up epigenetics and, uh, and just go down that rabbit trail, uh, of, of self-discovery. Uh, anyway, that's all we have for you today. That's all we got. That's all we got. Thanks for joining us this time, and we will catch you same time, same place next week. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, and then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then, of course, if you think you had know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.